Time for Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's king of the geeks and your designated driver up the M6 this time. Whether this is your first intergalactic road trip with us or you've been aboard before, you'll be happy to hear we're a freewheeling, non-gatekeeping eccentric and eclectic show for everybody whatever decade or century you started watching reading or listening along to the ongoing adventures of our hero doctor who we talk about it all on this show all in all views are encouraged and there could even be a few amusements along the way time will tell so come and step into our tardis and share this journey together here with us on type 40 uh, yes, welcome to the show. Not long ago, we were in Allendale, and, and now, now we're just a junction or two away from another destination of dreams to all Doctor Who fans with the smell of fish and chips already in the air. We're making an exhibition of ourselves yet again, aren't we, Simon? Indeed we are. I, I like what you did there, Dan. Very clever. <laughs> you don't just throw these things together, do you? No, no, no. no. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, and I'm really looking forward to diving back into this. You know that I'm a huge fan uh, of what we're talking about today. So, so yeah, this is this is this is Nirvana for me. This is we're uh, we're changing it it up a gear with this show and with these particular guests. It's been a whole year since we last spoke to these guys. I cannot believe it. Well, firstly, I don't know where 2021's gone, and secondly, the item we're going to talk about, having been with us for a full year too we've, we've lived with this particular reference work is that what you'd call it yeah i would certainly that's what i exactly what i'd call it yeah. we've lived with this it's become kind of indispensable it's something that i flick through albeit on my tablet even now 12 months on there are things that i think when when it hit when it hit when it landed you couldn't possibly take it in all at once i found myself sort of furiously sort of going through these pages and going back and all the rest of it yeah it was very intense for us readers receiving it so heaven knows how it was for them how do we introduce them i think that um looking back through the history of doctor who if we accept that bob baker and dave martin they were famously known as the bristol boys weren't they then i think that uh, designer and artist alex storer and writer researcher john collier they have to be known as the as the blackpool boys don't they good to see you again hi there good to see you too nice introduction dan see what you did there bowling them over with the introductions already we've set the bar pretty high this project, guys, Blackpool Remembered, I can't believe it's been a year, but then again, I haven't actually done anything. John, <laughs> how's the last 12 months been for you? How are you generally? I'm not too bad, thank you. I, I'm busy doing uh, the sort of stuff that I was up to 12 months ago, bizarrely. I never thought I'd be repeating the experience, to be fair. Uh, I blame Alex, to be honest. Um, he's very good at cajoling and encouraging me. Uh, because he knows uh, he knows how I'll, I'll react. So um, after the success of the first book, it was inevitable, wasn't it, that we might do a second? Yeah, we knew there was going to be a, a book-shaped hole to fill. <laughs> so you are cajoler in chief, then, Alex? Yeah, cajoler, people wrangler, ideas <laughs> person, that so, sort of thing. So was it? So is it your idea to do the second edition, then, Alex? Did you push John to do this? I don't think so. No. They've got a little while to get their stories straight before we get into the depths of all this, because yes, unbelievably, they are at it again. We'll come to that 
in a little while. But for those of you out there who, particularly those not in the UK, let's backtrack a little bit and talk about Blackpool. So you may have heard the name Blackpool. You know it's a place somewhere in the UK. But for those people who still aren't sure what we're talking about, Simon, where exactly is Blackpool? <laughs> Blackpool is up on the west coast of northern England. Um, it's, it's sort of just north of um, north of Liverpool, 20, 25, 30 miles north of Liverpool, close to uh, Manchester. It's in the it's in the county of Lancashire, um, for those those people that like that kind of stuff. It's got about 140,000 residents. And, and so sort of Doctor Who fans, I think it's a little bit of a, it's a, bit of a paradise, really. It's, there's a Mecca. spiritual home. Yeah. The Doctor Who's got a little bit of a spiritual home in Blackpool, not not just because of the exhibition, the original exhibition, but because there was a later exhibition, because, of course, Tom Baker, Liz Sladen and, and Ian Martyr famously went up there and turned on the lights. David Tennant also went and turned on the lights because oh, that's yeah. the other thing about Blackpool. Blackpool is famous for its autumn illuminations that come on around about September time. And the whole of Blackpool is lit up by, by millions and millions of light bulbs. Doctor Who has always had a place, it was for many, many years, from sort of the mid-80s, has had a place within the Illuminations because there always used to be a, a large um, tableau of Doctor Who figures that, that, that if you Google or uh, for, yeah. for, for Doctor Who Blackpool, Illuminations, you will find this fantastic tableau that they did through the late Tom Baker years, right the way through into certainly through to Colin Baker. Did he ever hit John, uh, um, Sylvester McCoy? Did he? John saying no. I think I think it ended. It certainly went as far as Colin Baker's reign. But I think I, I'm right in thinking that the Doctor Who still gets represented every year in the Illuminations in some form, even if it is only with the odd illuminated Dalek kind of thing. So Doctor Who and so. Blackpool are kind of they go together. And Blackpool is known as the Las Vegas of the United Kingdom, isn't it? Apparently so. I'm not quite certain why. Well, I guess because it's tacky, I suppose. It's, it's, it's oh, it's sorry, tacky. listeners in Vegas. Sorry. And it's a historic <laughs> town as well, is it? Because this is a legacy that stretches back before the famous tower was even built. It was a tourist destination, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it was one of those destinations, uh, starting sort of in the twenties, that was that was the place to go to go and have your holiday. And and so historically, right the way up till today, it's just a massive, massive holiday destination. Except nowadays, you get you get a few too many hen parties and stag do's for my taste. But you know. Well, I, I don't go back very often, everybody, but whenever I do, or whenever I have over the last 20 years, it's never seemed really complete. It's always felt like there's something missing because there's not that destination to go to, the Doctor Who Blackpool exhibition, which closed in 1985, didn't it? And uh, I think it's been, we talked about it as being a spiritual home earlier on. I think there's something ceremonial <laughs> about the sort of the pilgrimage that, that fans take to go just back to the site where it was. We see photographs like that on social media there, and they're tragic, but at the same time, they're quite comforting too. We're going to talk about yes, yeah, some fond memories and some some uh, frustrations and creative processes this time here on Type 40 with the gentleman sat here in a moment. But before we get there, I'm going to remind you that if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. And yes, there'll be a word about all of that later on, as well as making contacts 
with the matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network for a word about all the other cult conversations across all those other shows over there. Okay, now that's all sorted. Let's uh, let's get ready, everybody. Let's pump ourselves up to descend once again through <laughs> through the stairs to the virtual cellar and see what we discover amidst all the dry ice and the pulsing lights of the Blackpool Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Exhibition. Revisited, everybody. Revisited. Last year, I got wind of a project which I thought was incredibly ambitious, even for Doctor Who fans. You know, how creative, how resourceful, and how nostalgic we all are. All of that seemed to culminate in this ebook, Blackpool Remembered. I think I first saw whispers of it over on Twitter. And uh, yeah, for several months, I just kept one eye and I wondered, but is this really going to happen? Where's this really going to go? It was the early days of the pandemic and there were lots of pro uh, projects bobbing up then, all creative, because that's what Doctor Who fans do. Uh, but of course, this was released a year ago this week as of recording. And once it was released, it's brought forward, certainly in my case, a lot of memories that uh, were dormant from me from my childhood, not just about the times that I visited the, the site itself, but everything around it since that mythology that we were that we were talking about. You know, we spoke on the on that show, didn't we, on the podcast last year, John, about the whys, the whens, the hows. And then it happened and it was received. Well, how was it received? Um, it just blew us away. I mean, the interesting thing was we, we released it at midnight. Um, so I didn't get any sleep. <laughs> uh, I was on Twitter for about two hours afterwards, just trying to gauge the reaction and make sense of it all because it had been something that I'd dreamt about for, well, since the late 80s, really, since the first time I'd gone back to Blackpool, realised the exhibition had shut because no one expected it to close in 85. Uh, and there'd been this, this exhibition-shaped hole that I wanted to fill. And so over the years, I collected loads of things. And then the reaction was just incredible. I mean, just, you know, from the most amazing sources as well, you know, from Clayton Hickman to you guys, so many different people on Twitter, uh, just saying really, really wonderful things. And interestingly, you know, like Clayton said, he, he's never even been to Blackpool, but actually um, <laughs> for him, it was like visiting it. Um, for lots of us, it was about going back and revisiting it. Dan, you described that really well there about how you're saying it brought back some dormant memories even. I don't think a week goes by um, or hasn't gone by in the last 18 months when I've not had dreams about Blackpool, probably because I'm thinking about it all the time. But uh, <laughs> I know Alex is the same. We have, we have these sort of email mm. conversations about what I had another dream last night. It's always about the staircase. It's always about going back. So yeah, any opportunity to go back is, is always good. And I think the thing for me is when, when I visited the original exhibition, I was seven years old. So that's quite an impressionable age. And, you know, that whole experience still remains probably my uh, most treasured childhood memory and experience because it was at the height of my fandom at the time. So it, you literally were stepping into the Doctor's world and it was incredible. But of course, over time, your memories fade. And I went twice in the same week, but there were very patchy memories. And as we were putting the book together, so many things started to just all of a sudden just reappear and you think, oh, God, yeah. You, you suddenly remember some obscure little detail that you haven't thought about for 30-odd years. And 
it's funny because that was one of the key things that I found so enjoyable about this first release of Blackpool Remembrance because I only went to Blackpool, uh, my, you know, my, my place of destination for the exhibition was definitely Longleat, but I did go to Blackpool maybe two or three times, but I'd forgotten an awful lot of it and a lot of it had got m mixed up in my head. And so this, this again, as you said, Alex, that's one of the great things about the book was it, it, it kind of crystallized some of those floating memories that were out there that hadn't quite I hadn't quite anchored into mm. a context and that was what the book helped to do um, was just sort of crystallize them back in my brain and solidify them and get them more as as, as tangible as opposed to these just these kind of spurious floating um, you know ambiguous memories that, that I didn't quite know where they fitted and that was one of the things I just loved about the book and, and what was great with with the the, the the diagrams that you did the floor plans because that really helped anchor in my brain oh yeah I remember now coming round that corner and that's where that was and that's where the Daleks sat and that's where K9 was so reading so, the book your brain sort of sort of reconstructs it yeah. almost three-dimensionally Alex yeah because yeah I had misremembered things like the uh, angle of the staircase I I think for years I thought it was at a slightly different angle to what it was it was at um, and the way you went around the corridor because one of my own projects as I think we discussed last time was back in 2011 2012 I was trying to make a floor plan of the exhibition but back then there was just so little information online it was all done from memory and a few tiny uh, fan-drawn diagrams that I found online, including one of John's. But yeah, it, it just brought all these things back, back to the memory. And like you say, it cemented it and, and it corrected all the little misrememberings as well. And I think it's just really allowed you to, to literally to travel back in time. And because we did every year, whichever year was your year or years that you went, we've been able to, to recreate that. I think when you look back on the book, you think, good grief. You think, well, we did this. <laughs> we, so we did we're it. now a year on. You're coming up to 10,000 downloads of this ebook, this PDF. In the wake of its release, you know, this enormous body of work, John, and that, and that hefty page count, the virtual page count, once it was released and, and people's memories, people started to get in touch to tweet appreciation for what you'd managed to achieve but that also came with it didn't it a, uh, a further rush of more memories of more details of extra photos and the book's actually been updated a couple of times hasn't it in between that initial release and now when we're speaking yeah when we let it go uh, on the 28th of august last year uh what we knew two things would happen we knew we'd get an influx of I didn't know this thing was coming out. I've got all these photographs <laughs> and albums. I wish I'd uh, known about it. I would have sent them to you. So that happened. And the second thing that happened was um, we people commented on the floor plans. We knew the floor plans weren't exactly right. It was very difficult to pin down certain things. So there was uh, always a flexibility because it's an online publication that we can go back, we can amend things, we can change things. We didn't want to add in too much new material, but... It became apparent by about Christmas, three months later, there were things out there that would that possibly make another another book, another a follow-up publication. So uh, more content, uh, which we really wanted to share with people, just as we've done the first time. And I guess that's where we're at now. 
So you got to a point where you could only update that original book so many times. Is that what you're saying? We didn't want to update it too much because uh, we felt like we told the story quite well to that point. With it was all factual the corrections, really, wasn't it? Yeah, Particularly it was. on the floor plans because, as, as John said, we knew they were always going to be a work in progress. We had to get them out and I then it was down to the other year. fans that would spot the things that were either wrong or missing that we could. We then had the the luxury to be able to just to just correct. Between you, did you sort of sift through that extra information? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, uh, as I'd done previously with, with the first book, I, you know, I, I think I said in the last podcast, I just collected things. So when things were coming out again, people were just sending me the odd, odd one or two photographs. And then I got sort of a set of photographs sent to me. So all of these things were being squirreled away just in yeah. case, you know, um, there was going to be some kind of follow up to it. But as Alex has just said, you know, it was the factual corrections that we've got a, a, a friend now um, called Philip Brennan, who is really great at the at the detail. Um, so he doesn't mind going through all of the stuff and and checking all the hundreds of photographs just to make sure that we've got things in the right place on those floor plans. So they're pretty much accurate now, I'd say. I think that, you know, 99.9%, Alex? As good as we can get them yeah. without actually being able to physically go back and double check. But do you think, is there still a possibility that people still might come forward and still say, no, you've still got the ice warrior in the wrong place? Or, or are you... Oh, are, of course, are that's you? who found them. It's the number of mandrels we're still trying to work out and we don't think we'll ever get the right answer. <laughs> when, when you speak to the people who've received the book and they are just gushing with what it's, what it's meant to them, how it made them feel to, to load it up on their tablet, John, how does that make you feel? Uh, incredibly proud, to be honest. I mean, we've, we've all talked there about the sort of dreams and the memories that it's evoked for people. I think there's something about Blackpool that is really emotionally linked to people's memories. There were lots of stories in, in the first book uh, about um, people's family members, uh, you know, and, and quite sad stories in some cases about what they remember uh, from Blackpool. So you can't, you can't sort of detach the emotion uh, from the content, really. So as much as I'm passionate about it, Alex is passionate about it, we found an exhibition army that's out there who feel just the same way that we do. So that emotional outpouring was was quite touching. When it, you know, when, when I started to get the messages, emails, uh, comments on the website, things on Twitter, yeah, I felt really proud and a real sense of achievement. Um, you know, and it is. It became what it was always meant to be. It was. It was a really successful community project, with over eighty contributors who all sort of you know allowed us to use their photographs, gave us their memories to share, and yeah. Even now, Dan, it's quite interesting. I, I do occasionally flick through myself just to. Did I really do that? Was it? You know, did, did it really happen? And and yeah, it's 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 quite warming going going back and having a look and flicking through. Yeah, it was by the fans for fans. Um, and like John says, we've all had that collective experience. I think when you're a kid, going to Blackpool, perhaps in the 70s and 80s, was like going to some sort of fantasy wonderland. So to have Doctor Who in the middle of all of that made it extra extra special. With, with sort of Doctor Who, I, I, I literally think there are, there, are, there are really only three things, actually, from, from my childhood that you could do for Doctor Who. One was watch the programme. One was read the Target books and one was to go to the exhibitions. That was it. 
you know, there were, okay, there were the odd toy. There was occasionally, there was a toy. There was the occasional poster mag or whatever. But really, there were only three key areas of Doctor Who that you could explore. Later on, of course, there was the, the weekly and then the monthly. But that, that was much later for me. You know, I was going to the exhibition in the mid-70s, long before the monthly, the weekly was even thought of. So those three key things are always going to be hugely important to Doctor Who fans of a certain age. The, the show itself, the target books and the exhibition. And that's why I think, you know, you, you were onto a winner choosing this because people really, those exhibitions, the Blackpool and the Longlead exhibition really, really meant something to people. Far more, I think, than any of the uh, sort of post 2005 mm. exhibitions, because as as impressive as they are, they're, they're quite sort of sporadic. They're, they're spread out. Sometimes it was in London, sometimes in Cardiff. So it started in Brighton. It, it's all over the shop. Whereas whereas because the Longleat and the Blackpool exhibitions were so firmly cemented, literally cemented in yeah, the they ground, did, they did seem like so they would be there forever, didn't they, Simon? Yeah. Yeah, and they really, it really was a pilgrimage that it, that each year you would go, want to go in the way that I think with the with with some of the, the latter exhibitions you'd kind of you go once and it'd be really impressive and then you kind of forget about it. Somehow Blackpool and Longley got into your psyche and into your DNA and and, and messed with you a bit in 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 the best possible way and and stuck. <laughs> stuck into the deepest corners of your brain and i think that's that, that we've got to remember that with the exhibitions they really were key to being a fan in those in the 70s and and early 80s key well i'm i'm looking at this quote you've got here from clayton hickman guys clayton hickman who used to be the editor of doctor who magazine and now he's a successful designer and artist himself wonderful things that clayton does but he says here do yourself a favor and grab this free pdf book right now over 400 beautifully designed and photo-packed pages celebrating the old Blackpool Doctor Who exhibition. I've never so much as set foot in Blackpool, and I'm still absolutely loving it. Now, when I went to the Blackpool Doctor Who exhibition, there was this hint, guys, that I'd, I'd felt about it the same way that Simon did, that it was this pilgrimage that I had to wait and wait and wait to go on. And, uh, and I'd seen photos in reference books and in Doctor Who Weekly of, of times where it was swamped with people. It's spectacular opening in 1974, wasn't it, that the exhibition opened. And these hordes of people, and there's something about, there was something of the Beatlemania, I think, about it all, when I saw all these pictures, and this feeling that I'd missed out on something amazing and something wonderful. And looking at what Clayton was just saying there, he missed out on it altogether. He was of the generation that, maybe came along just that little bit too late. Is this something that you hear a lot as well, that for people who did miss it, it's the nearest, bestest thing to actually having gone, Alex? I, I think we've achieved that through this book, yeah, because a lot of those props that were there were, most of them went to Longley after it closed, but there were several props that were never seen again until, you know, later years when, when the second exhibition opened. And even right now, I think, because that closed in, what, 2009, 10, 2009, I think it was. There's probably a generation of young fans that haven't even had a Doctor Who exhibition. Scary. Yeah. And isn't that sad? It's just, it's just <laughs> so sad because, because I can still remember when I, when I first found out that there was a Doctor Who exhibition on and it, and it undoubtedly would have been one of the little trailers at the end of one of the episodes in the mid-70s. Yeah. 
And I remember my parents sort of saying to me when we were going, they sort of said, I think you'll probably be quite disappointed by this exhibition. I, and I was trying to get into my head, what was a Doctor Who exhibition going to have in it? I didn't know it was going to have costumes, props, a TARDIS. I, I, I had no concept at all that it would have any of that stuff. I remember my parents were saying, probably be quite, quite depressing, quite disappointing. It would just probably just be, you know, maybe a Dalek here and, and a Cyber and that'll be about it. So when I arrived and found what can only be described as, you know, an absolute Pandora's box, an Aladdin's cave of, <laughs> of Doctor Who wonderfulness. You can't please all of the people all of the time, but Blackpool remembered must have come pretty bloody close. <laughs> How, <laughs> did you then go and, and take a, a major sabbatical and and uh, not think about anything to do with Blackpool? Did you did you just go? What did you, what did you do? I think it had been so intense. You know, we started in April. Uh, the book was out in August, so a matter of months really. Um, didn't really know Alex at all before the, the project started. That was the other thing. I mean. Not only have we written two great books, or what I hope are two great books, but also we've got a great friendship now. Uh, and one day we're going to meet in Blackpool, which will be even more special, I guess. That'll be lovely. Uh, you're both invited, yeah. by the way, guys. Both invited. So, yeah, I mean, just the reaction was just amazing. I just first went, you know, 74, 75. Um, last visit was 84. I never went in the final year because that was my first holiday abroad. So didn't go to Blackpool. Been to Blackpool for every year of my life up to that point, you know. Because the exhibition itself reflected this, the changing seasons of the programme. There's always There was always something new to see. Um, I think, uh, you know, what, what we're, we're getting now is the, the sense that there's not an awful lot of these things left at all. They're, certainly the classic props, they've either gone into um, private ownership or maybe they're tucked away somewhere by the BBC. But I don't think somewhere. we'll ever see a, a, a display like it ever again. Not really with, you know, the amount of things that were put out at Blackpool and at Longleat. So it was never, it was always exciting going going back to Blackpool every single year. I was lucky enough to go, you know, maybe three or four times a year. I had family there who owned a and b just around the corner as well. That helped. Um, so as I say, even mid-season, and this goes back to the floor plans again, mid-season the, the exhibits would change. Uh, and often, you know, they, they transferred things between Blackpool and Longley. And that was another thing we were trying to um, track down when it came to finalising the floor plans. That must have been a nightmare to try and to it try was, and plot. It was, but the reaction again from from younger people who are, you know, maybe in the, even in the twenties, they they grew up with the likes of, of Eccleston and David Tennant. Really lovely comments saying, "I feel like I, I understand a little bit of the history uh, of the ex of the exhibitions, but also why people love it so much because it looks amazing." And the photographs, you know, do that, don't they? They show it in its, in its mm. best light. And another thing that I think we've achieved with these books, which we still need to remind ourselves of occasionally, is they are a first, really. Mm. And I mean, last last year, around the time we were put working on the Blackpool, remembered that the Telos uh, book came out, but that was more like, uh, it was just a textbook with a few black and white plates in the back. Yeah, uh, It was very, very factual. Whereas ours was more complementary to it in the fact that it was memories and nostalgia and packed with photos. So all of a sudden, in the same year, you've got two books on the exhibition. Actually, there hasn't been one before, ever. <laughs> and it's only yeah, now that Doctor Who magazine have decided to actually run a couple of features on it. And whilst there is power in words, it was beautifully designed, Alex, I have to say. John designed it. Right. Alex is 
he's a fantastic colleague to work with because he gives me all the feedback to, to do all the things to change things. I'm not um, qualified as a sort of graphic artist. I've got a real interest in it. My degree was in, in art. Alex, what Alex did obviously was, was provide some incredible original illustrations and his artwork is absolutely stunning. We've got some more of that uh, that we've put into the second book. But yeah, um, if I, yeah, I, I did you... the floor plans and wrote a couple of pieces, but the design of the book was, was John's. Well, I, I could tell you the biggest secret, if you like. This could be a real exclusive for you guys. Well, everything that's been done with the first and the second book has all been done on PowerPoint. What? On that's, PowerPoint? That is impressive. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know how you've done that. Here we are with our Adobe Suites, and you've been working on it on PowerPoint. I yeah, literally okay. don't know how you've physically done that. That's very rude. Deserve a round of applause for that alone. <laughs> So, 400-odd pages on the original title. Yeah. A little bit of time away. Mm -hmm. And then, in the back of your mind, there's this awareness that a second book is coming conceptually to life. And we're here now, aren't we? We're back at Blackpool for Blackpool Revisited. So, we've got, we've got the front cover, and we have a release date. So, when is the second book being released and what is the general conceit behind this one, John, that makes it different from the last one? We're not releasing it at midnight this time because I need to get my sleep. So we're releasing it <laughs> uh, Saturday the 28th of August, just as we did last year, 28th of August. We chose that August bank holiday was always a time when I'd be certainly in Blackpool. Uh, and we're releasing it at 10 a.m., the traditional time that the exhibition would open in the morning. We're going to spend the day, hopefully, just sitting back and watching the comments come in. We're just hoping it's going to be as positively received as the last one. But the, the premise behind it is we obviously wanted to include all that stuff we were talking about earlier, that, that old content which was new to us that people hadn't been able to send to us to include in the first book. So there's, there's a few pages on that. I wouldn't say um, we've gone overboard on it. We've gone a bit broader this time and a bit deeper in places. So... Although we cover some of, the, some of the original exhibition and things associated with it, such as another BBC exhibition that took place in 1978 that was around the corner. Uh, we've got things about the sort of bootleg merchandise you could buy um, in uh, Blackpool in the 1970s and 1980s. There's an article on that. Uh, we've also gone a little bit um, beyond Blackpool. So... Lots of things linked to um, exhibitions, but also lots of things linked to the programme itself. I mean, for example, in the second year, the second season, 1975, Jonathan Sellers had his miniature Doctor Who models put on display in Blackpool. They'd been seen on Blue Peter. Jonathan was one of those people who got in touch and said, I read the book. Uh, my miniature models were in the exhibition in 1975. We, we, no way we could have gone out and found Jonathan, but he found us, which is amazing. So he's been able to tell his story. Uh, we've got a whole section on David Boyle, a little bit about his work with um, Dapol and also the Langolan experience. But really, we've, we've, we've done a, a big tribute to David alongside his partner, Julie Whitfield. We've put together a whole sort of walkthrough section of the second exhibition. So if you never got to Blackpool for the second exhibition, David Boyle's Doctor Who Museum, Hopefully you can do it through the pages of our next book because um, that is quite a, uh, a weighty section. So there's 10 sections altogether. Alex has been off and he's been exploring things like um, the toys that are associated with the programme. He's, he's been talking to artists and illustrators associated with the programme. Yeah, we've, um, 
because we've got a section in the book that looks at the marketing of the exhibition, things like the poster design, which uh, uh, artist Ronald Binney has helped us with, and he's done some great artwork for the book as well. Um, and looking at how the sort of visual styling of the of the museum changed over time. On the back of that, I thought it would be an interesting idea to, to try and track down some of the other artists whose work you would have seen at the exhibition, whether it was on posters or in what you could buy in the shop. So I uh, interviewed with Andrew Skilleter, um, and he did the poster for the final season of the exhibition. Uh, but of course, if you went into the shop, then you would have seen the Who Dares prints and posters and the 1986 calendar and bookmarks and all the rest of it. So I've talked to him about his work, both wider than than Who and also yeah. focusing in on, on, on the Blackpool stuff. Um, another favourite of mine was uh, when I went, I bought the the Target poster of the exploded Dalek diagram where you see all the innards and I've always oh, loved yeah, that. Like a cross-section yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the one that was in the old technical manual, except this was all in wonderful, vibrant colour. Yeah, remember and it. Was. after some research and work online, I finally managed to track down the artist who did it, Graham Potts. Wow. Um, that's, okay. that's, that's a first. That is definitely yeah. a first. <laughs> so I think if you've if you got the Telos Target book, you'll see a few references to Graham in there because he did, I think, there's uh, a still toy maker cover and one or two oh, others I remember, but yeah. i wanted to talk to him about poster art and of course his other his other um covers like the cover art to peter haining's celebration book which is one of his beautiful piece mm. of artwork and the other artist is and this was a really nice surprise um another thing i bought there was a, the dalek t-shirt they have peter davison cyberman and dalek t-shirts and of course i came away with a, a dalek one a few scraps of which just remain pressed into a book these days um <laughs> but the, i always love the drawing on it and yeah, looking at it again it recently well. i saw the artist's name rod vass i thought okay let's look up this rod vass guy found him and it turned out he was one half of imagineering limited who used to build the props for the series ah. as well as <laughs> making things for exhibitions and they had a whole range of latex masks so me thinking i was going to be finding a jobbing artist who'd done this one dalek t-shirt turned out to be somebody that had had his big involvement in the show they built daleks and so he gave us an interview and yeah so it was really been really interesting really fascinating and as an artist myself uh, a real privilege to be able to, to speak with them so what we're kind of talking about are the the kind of extraneous things, the things, maybe not even the things that we save over time, like badges, pens, and whatever else that we may buy. They're the things, like the little handout posters, Simon, that sometimes, as children, you might see them in a, in a window or whatever else. You might even have one, but your mum throws it out, thinks nobody wants it anymore. Well, again, I mean, the other thing to bear in mind, you know, I was saying earlier on about the three, these, this was one of the three key aspects of Dog 2 that you as a child could engage with. And, and, and what you've got to remember, of course, is that the shop, Longleat and Blackpool, was the only place in the entire UK that you could buy some of this stuff, such as the badge that I've got on, that like Alex has got on, the T-shirt that John's wearing, the badge that Dan's got, poster magazine, you know, the two Tom Baker poster magazines. There was literally only two places in the entire country that you could get this stuff. 
There was no Toys R Us there. Nothing. There weren't even Nothing. really mail order places, were there? It was not you at could that only point. get them at the exhibition. Not at that point. John Fitton came along uh, much, much later. A bit later. And started yeah. doing, but yeah, absolutely, the mid '80s. But in the mid '70s, when when John, you and I were going to the exhibitions, that was it. And so again, it was part of the experience was to go and buy stuff. And I can still remember that my my first visit to Blackpool actually, and I bought you know loads of stuff. And I remember the the the, the, the lovely little old lady behind the counter or whatever, and she said, "Are you sure you can afford all this stuff, dear? It's very expensive. Are you sure you want it?" And I'm like, "Yes, oh, I do want it. Give I've been it to saving my pocket money all year." <laughs> So, so Alex, for you to track down those some of those people that have been involved in that in either the, the the merchandise or the promotion for me, and again because I come from sort of a, a graphic art background, that's hugely interesting to me. I, I'm I'm blown away to find that you that you've sort of tracked some of those people down and so you're right john the breadth of this book which to be honest to begin with i i was assuming it was just kind of a, a, don't take this the wrong way but it was more of the same kind of thing it was sort of a, a second edition of the first one as it were and it's not this is an entirely new work that's basically expanding the whole blackpool horizon and i, I just i can't wait to get this i'm equally as excited by this as I am about the first one, because of what you guys have just said is in there. I can't wait to see this one. It sounds More of the same, but different. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it. We did go off on a few tangents. Everything leads us back to Blackpool in some way. Something that really strikes me, and, and about what you've just said about everything goes back to Blackpool, I think what's probably a, uh, a timely decision and something that younger people will relate to and maybe rush to will be how you have considered the later exhibition as well from, from the 2000s. Because as time goes on now, and as people who were children, when that exhibition was in place, as they reach adulthood and are becoming more active in our community and getting to the kind of age where they reflect on their childhood, I'm hearing a lot more about that. And even though David Boyle, the, the curator, the man who made that possible, he sadly passed away a couple of years ago. The fact that you have poured that affection over his accomplishments too, the childhoods that he, in his own way, brought a similar kind of colour to, I think that's incredibly generous. And if you say his, his partner's been involved with it too, I, I just think it's a really sensitive thing to do and something that will, will absolutely bring the story fully up to date and show where the echoes and the ripples of, of the original exhibition have continued to be felt right up to the, you know, getting kind of meta, really, with the publication of your book last year. Well, you know, it's quite interesting because um, David Boyle's museum opened pretty much exactly 30 years after the original exhibition in Blackpool. So it's April 2004. Um, and at that point, I'd got a five-year-old son. So the first thing I was thinking was, I was that age when I went to a Blackpool yeah. doctor exhibition. I've got, to re I've got to do that, you know, again in my life. I've that experience again. There are some pictures of Elliot in the book. He's given me his, his permission. He's 22 now. Give me his permission to use the cheesy snaps. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you're right. I mean, there's a whole generation now who did get to experience that from 2004 to 2009, that second exhibition slash museum that was there it was a bit easier to put together in terms of those years because what we knew was things didn't really move around too much there were a couple of 
exhibit pieces that were, that were shifted about. And from about 2005, six, some of the new series um, items were also on display at Blackpool as well. So what you had was all the classic stuff. And then what began to seep in was some of the really brand new costumes and characters that those that those young children would have, would have been watching right there and then. So it's very similar to experience, you know, to, to what Same I... Same figure spirit. Yeah. Plus it was much, much more photographed because mm. people had phones and digital cameras by then. Oh, I see. So, you know, photos have been much more plentiful than of the original exhibition, even when you've got elusive props like the Ice Warrior or the Sontaran from the Two Doctors that only briefly appeared there, perhaps in, in the first year. We've got the photos of it. It was an assault on the senses in, in, in the best possible way. And that, that's what I'm talking about when I say that the Cardiff exhibitions and, and the London exhibitions and the Brighton exhibitions have never quite matched up to that. To that. Um, mm. uh, it, the props it's, have looked better and perhaps look more impressive, but the way it's absolutely. been lit has been soulless. And I don't know, it's, everything's just not quite the same perfect word there is soulless and that's not to take anything away from them because i've been to all the modern exhibitions and they're great and as you say it's very impressive to see broton or the k1 robot in, in beautiful crisp white light but the doctor who exhibitions of blackpool and longleat were, were very much more uh, that the, 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 you know that the whole was far more than the sum of the parts that you've got the props and the costumes there. It was the lighting. It was the sound montage. It was the dark, narrow corridors. It was the smell. I, it's ridiculous. Mm. It sounds like it's still the smelling. Distinctive aroma of warm latex and yeah. perspex and wood. You know, the, the, mm. the cabinets were all made of wood, and as you say, perspex. The, the, the exhibitions were intoxicating um, in the way that modern exhibitions are much more clinical. On the one hand, you're much closer, you, well, you were in the recent exhibitions such as Cardiff and London, you were much closer to the exhibits, but in many ways you were much, spiritually, you were much further removed from them because it was nowhere, it wasn't such a visceral experience. In David Boyle's museum, he did his best to recreate that atmosphere, Absolutely. that sort of lighting. He did. And even, even then, a lot of the, even though they were quite worn, a lot of the props and costumes still looked better than they had done on TV because of the way they were lit. And I think one of the things we noticed when we were putting Blackpool Revisited together was uh, in the in the section of the new museum was a lot of the photographs where people had used flash just didn't look as good because all the ambient lighting, the colour was gone. And you, you saw the tatty prop for what it was, whereas <laughs> a non-flash photograph with a red, green or blue lights looked really evocative and atmospheric and just how you'd want to see it. Well, we had Neil Cole back on the show a few weeks ago, and he was he was speaking similarly about his uh, his own exhibition up, uh, you know, the Museum of Classic Sci-Fi, and how obviously because he's done certain amounts of restoration on the various items there, and how when the when the perspex goes in and the lights go down, even he forgets what these things were made of, and, and he's sort of he's swept away back to his own childhood and and the magic the magic of it all. Well, what's the page count of Blackpool Revisited? How, how many pages does this bring it up to altogether on Blackpool? Go on, John. Put together? Blackpool Revisited is 630. So it's a over 1,000. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we get to see Simon Horton's head explode live on air. <laughs> that's, that's, that's phenomenal. How can you do that? That's brilliant. 
hats off to you guys, 600 odd pages. One of the really, really um, positive things about being able to produce a digital publication is we're not bound by production yeah. or costs or restrictions. So if it wants to be that big, it can be. Yeah. And are people still surprised that it's free, guys? Oh, God, they're astounded, yeah. <laughs> I'm still surprised. I, I, you should, I mean, literally, you should be charging for this, guys. It's brilliant stuff. I mean, it, it really is incredible. The idea, the idea that you've now doubled and then some the page count for the entire work, the entire effort, it says a lot for your creativity, for your innovation, your dedication. Just, yeah, more of that affection for this very special time, this very special place. I'm slightly blown away by this. <laughs> I'm completely blown away by it. And and, and all credit to you, the fact that it is that you are putting it out there for free, you know, absolute all yeah, credit. Seriously, it's a great service. It, it, it's brilliant. Well, and you, you know, as we said earlier, it, people give freely of their own time and their own stories and their own objects, photographs, etc. So I love the, the fact that it's this community. We've got, again, nearly another 90 contributors some are the same some are different and we've also we've been able to sort of go off on tangents which are still linked to blackpool because of the stories that we've you know had brought to us i mean we've covered things like the international garden festival at liverpool in 1984 which was just down the road from blackpool so that there's a few pages on that in the first book there was just one photograph so we've gone a little bit deeper with that we got uh, a really nice uh, submission about the the current um, Doctor Who experience that's housed inside Madame Tussauds in Blackpool. So uh, Jodie Whittaker figure and, and some of the costumes from from her, her tenure, you know, we had some yeah, uh, yeah. a nice option written about that. So we decided we'd backtrack a bit and we'd cover Madame Tussauds in London in 1980, uh, which is, you know, okay, we've gone away from Blackpool, but it, there's a link there. And we've done a really nice history of the illuminations as well so we've gone back for, from the moment where the lights were switched on by um as we were saying earlier simon tom liz and ian and we've kind of traced it through and the latest photographs were taken last month you know so we've got a whole history of doctor who at the blackpool illuminations so we just we just have fun kind of going off at these different tangents but always saying to each other is it still Blackpool? Is it still Blackpool? Because even did... writing a piece about the seven uh, seven stuff and the Dapple stuff, mm -hmm. as I have done, yeah, the sevens models were on sale in the shop, so you yeah. could have bought one when you were there. And Dapple obviously links back to David Boyle, so it all connects. But uh, I think one one really lovely thing that happened during this one was um, a fan called Phil Singleton that got in touch, who not only provided a, a fantastic story because he kept his diaries with dates and everything from his visits to Blackpool so we've got a plethora of really nice photographs to go with his writing but it turned out on two two different items colleague Philip Brennan that John mentioned earlier had taken a photograph of Colin Baker at uh, the Bolt was it the Bolton show in 1985 yeah and I was talking with the other Phil who said oh I was there too and took almost the same photograph and just this week <laughs> Other Philip has looked at his pictures and found Phil in his photograph. <laughs> the, 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 real thing, the real thing for me was 1985 was a pivotal year for me as, a, as a, a Doctor Who fan as a kid because I went to the Blackpool exhibition and I met Colin Baker when he opened Texas Home Care in Sheffield. Mm -hmm. 
because again that's a bit of an old memory i was trying to work out just when because i can't quite remember when in the year we went to blackpool it's bound to have been in the summer holidays or perhaps spring bank so i was trying to establish from a chronological point of view so i knew i met colin after blackpool uh, when that was and i found reference to him opening other texas stores around the country in in the autumn of 1985 <laughs> and uh, i think it was on the facebook exhibitions group phil said oh yeah i was a student in sheffield um, in October, and it was around that sort of time. And it turned out he'd got photographs. For years I've been looking to see if there was any photos of Colin opening Texas and not found any reference to it. And then all of a sudden, I am sent an email containing 10 or 12 photographs of Colin in Sheffield, <laughs> where I was, as a seven-year-old, about to meet him. So that was probably the most amazing thing on a personal level. So we've written a piece on that. So we've gone off at tangents, but they're all connected i just noticed on the on the graphic there is the is the um stuff about the edwin hall um dalek riots which again obviously mm. those for me are absolutely synonymous with blackpool anybody that was going to the black to blackpool in the sort of 70s 80s those dalek riots in fact i i, I can still remember in the in the late 80s I, I did get a kind of an obsession with those rides and i i went as far as trying to track one down uh, i i remember phoning in the <laughs> late 80s i remember phoning i can imagine you getting, doing and, that. and again you've got to you've got to bear in mind this is obviously long before the internet so i can't even remember how i got the telephone number for blackpool pleasure beach don't ask me but somehow <laughs> i got the number Just the one blackpool. phone there ringing away I, you well, I, I somehow must have got the front desk of Blackpool Pleasure Beach and said, "Look, you know, bear with me. I'm trying to track down. I'm trying to see if I can get hold of a, of a Dalek ride." And well, you can imagine that the, the silence at the other end of the line <laughs> with this nutter. And, and I never, I never managed to track it down. But I was that obsessed with them. I, I really, really, I knew they'd got them there, but never got them. So I can't wait to read about the the, the Dalek rides. Yeah, and that, to be honest, that article came about because Alex had a photograph, several other people had photographs. Uh, we've got one, it must be early to mid-80s on Central Pier, so there was definitely one on Central Pier, and there was one in the amusements, which was just around the corner from the original exhibition. Uh, we've got some photographs of the one that's in there. I tracked down a guy uh, who's got his own website all about Edwin Hall Daleks, and he uh, provided us with a load of photographs of one that he's restoring. So you get to see the sort of inner workings of uh, of that. And there's some um, advertising material as well, because they were special. But what I didn't realise, and this goes back to Phil um, Singleton, actually. Phil sent us a photograph of a of himself. He's about 16, and he's, in, he's crammed inside a police box ride which was in one of the abuses at Blackpool. So there was like a sort of mini TARDIS ride as well, which I'd never seen before. So no, me neither. Put that in the book. Do you know, I can, now you said that, I do remember that. I'd completely forgotten. <laughs> one memory unlocks another, unlocks another, yeah. another, and another, another. And before you know it, you're back there being hit with all these dormant memories. The ride's not over yet, but it is time that we took a break, just a couple of minutes to illuminate you about all those other fantastic shows and conversations going on across the Fandom Podcast Network, covering all those other wonderful, fantastical franchises. So here's our friend Kevin with the, the what's and the where's about all of that. And you can meet John, Alex, Simon and myself back here for more Blackpool Doctor Who exhibition talk in a couple of minutes.
Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the fandom flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie and TV pop culture topics. Good Evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. The Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, you can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at Fandom Podcast Network and on Twitter at FanPod Network. Thank you for listening and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40, if you head over to tpublic.com. Search for the Fandom Podcast Network and you'll find a store full of all the team colours for all of the shows on everything from T-shirts to phone cases and even tapestries. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain so everybody wins everybody. Yes, we're back. We're back with Alex, with John and Simon to talk about the new Blackpool Revisited ebook, the PDF landing very, very soon as a free download, 600 pages worth of extra Blackpool content. Good God. It's a wonder it doesn't come with a stick of rock as well. So, so yes, <laughs> after all this intense work, John, surely now, now it must be time for a holiday. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I need to go back to Blackpool, don't I? But I, the, one thing, the, one, the one thing, seriously, uh, which we've not been able to do, and, and we've kind of run out of time, really, uh, because of everything that's going on uh, and restrictions on travel and that kind of thing, is I really wanted to go back to Chapel Street to ask the people who now own the shoe cellar shop yeah. and the basement area, if I can just go down once more that staircase, take some photographs. I know it's going to look completely different. You know, and maybe even walk up back onto Bonnie Street through the, the exit staircase. That's the sort of one thing I've not been able to do in time for uh, for this book. 
whether that's a, a spin-off or a, a, the third publication, who knows? But uh, yeah, a holiday is very much um, <laughs> on the cards. That really would be bringing the project full circle. It would. And, and, and I've done a sort of, again, a potted history of, of the site and what happened after 85. Collages have then and now shot. So you can see how things have changed since it, it closed. But um, yeah, I, mean, I know I'll be deeply disappointed because there's nothing down there. Well, the last time I went down there was in the early 90s. It was full of shoes. But I'd, I'd still like to do it again and, and try and get a sense of that aroma. Um, see if I can smell any uh, old bits of rotting latex and spot certain things. I mean, the hexagon shapes are still over the staircase, so I know they're still there. So they're oh, must be yeah, yeah. So I mean, that, that's just been painted over, you know. So, and I think the banister is, is still the same as well. All original, yeah. The the the, the uh, sort of the covering of the stairs is, is the same as well. So, yeah. Although there's no Doctor Who related bits and bobs, there are some bits of the of the building that are still the same so that's kind and of nice. echoes of your former self that's yeah <laughs> that's that's the thing i think that could be some extra video content when you finally get there to film the whole thing yeah yeah we could stick it on twitter put it on instagram um but at some point i'm gonna have to just beg but it, it is it, it, you might find in a way that's quite heartbreaking i remember going to longleat for the first time a few years ago and and seeing and and, and ironically the tardis is still at longleat the, the tardis entrance is still at longleat yeah. just painted white and, and and sort of just kind of built over with all fiberglass junk but it's still just about discernible there <laughs> and it's literally it's heartbreaking it's it, your heart just sinks the fact that the hexagons are still above the the, the door at, at Blackpool, it's almost painful. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. that it's that reminder. It's gone. It was brilliant. It was it, and it was just one of the best places in the universe for a Doctor Who fan. So we've well, heard me, me and John spent an entire afternoon one day talking about the pavement. <laughs> I mean, only in, in Doctor Who circles it. can you find yourself doing that. It's a good job. We're so like minded. <laughs> have you, Alex, we just heard John talk about something that's in his bucket list, but have you got anything that you're still, some itches that you want to scratch creatively or personally with, with the whole Blackpool Doctor Who thing? I don't think so. I think we've covered everything now. I think all the all the vague or, or woolly memories have come clear. I've managed to relive my year through all the photographs that came in, through all the memories daft as it sounds, actually illustrating those floor plans was virtually walking yourself through it. So there, there is a sense of having travelled back in time and, and revisited it and seen a lot of the things that seven-year-old me saw. And for example, when, when I went to the David Boyle Museum in 2008, it never occurred to me to try and track down the old site, which was literally just a few yards around the corner. And I know I would have been disappointed if I had done. So I kind of, uh, thought, well, a part of me thought, well, I should have gone to have a look. But then another part of me thinks, well, no, it's better off remembered as you remember it. I had a similar experience. I went looking for it and I couldn't find it. I couldn't quite place it together because it had been, I think by that point, it had been the best part of 15 years in between my visits to Blackpool. So I, all my memories about the markers of where it was, where it may be, and it was certainly before the internet, so I had no resources to go back to, just really hazy memories and a couple of black and white photographs. 
from the place being open fully enough you know those those often repeated images that we see in the weekly that we see in peter haynings haynings books all those things and yeah i and by the end of it i i did come to a similar conclusion alex because now we see it here on on a page on a kindle or or an ipad or whatever else yeah i think with the sheen that you guys have given it i think it looks as good as it ever could short of rebuilding it brick by brick and as nutty as doctor who fans are nobody could possibly do that could they could they <laughs> <laughs> even in yeah. even in cyberspace simon but put on the well, virtual helmet virtual blackpool I, I think there will come a point at some point <laughs> in cyberspace where somebody builds one yeah I, I i don't doubt that but but i mean one thing that that that's struck me with the with the first Blackpool book but but strikes me even more so with this new one is that this this kind of uh, Dan you talked at the beginning of this about about it being a is it a reference work well yeah it absolutely is a reference work um and and the breadth of research that you guys have done this isn't just this isn't just a a, a, a fanzine about the Blackpool exhibition is far, far more than that. And this is definitely up there with, with kind of the, the, the likes yeah. of Warp, Warp, which cover the weekly and the monthly. And then the other one that I love, which is um, Nothing at the End of the Lane, which covers kind of the TV show, the minutiae of the TV show. And this is up there. This is this is the one that covers Blackpool. And, you know, you guys have created the, the most definitive work on the Blackpool exhibition that exists at this precise moment in time. Maybe somebody will be crazy enough to come along at some point in the future and do something more. I can't see how, by the looks of it, you guys have got pretty much everything covered. So this is probably going to stand up as the definitive final word on the Blackpool exhibitions, has that kind of occurred to you guys that you've you've done something really quite Definitive. quite seminal and, and key? It's this is a key text for Doctor Who fans, isn't it? I think it is unique. And when we were making the first book, it occurred to me. I thought we're doing something that hasn't been done before. You've done it so well now that, as I say, it, it kind of feels like it must be the last word on the Blackpool exhibition and it is that it's going to be the go-to guide uh, on the on the exhibition I would imagine that's it's, it's going to become this key reference work that everybody everybody thinks of and of course what's great about it is that it looks so as Dan has talked about it looks so great as well it's visually unlike the um the telos book as you mentioned alex which is it's a great book but it's just a very dry run on 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 the exhibitions Blackpool Revisited would be, if you could afford to have it printed, would be a coffee table book. Alex, your artwork is great. The design is brilliant. So it's just a, it's a visual treat as much as, as a textual treat. And so not only is it say, it's the definitive work on Blackpool, I would imagine, but it's, but it's just so visually interesting and evocative as well, because you, you talked about this in the first podcast you guys where you tried again to sort of recreate i know alex you talked talked about trying to recreate that sort of lurid color lighting in, in the artwork and that that's so important you were right to do that because that is part and parcel of blackpool yeah, and I yeah. Think we looked back at all the various books um annuals or illustration styles that influenced us or that we admired over the years and sort of repurposed that and channeled it into into the look of the books yeah and there were, you know start two standout uh publications for me it's time frame which i think is just wonderful it's a mm, tiny picture of, yeah. of the blackpool exhibition in time frame and that was that sort of sparked something when that was first um published 
wouldn't it be lovely to have a, a book that's dedicated just to the exhibition? And The Vault, which I think is another one, where you've got that sort of, both of them have got that sort of scrapbook feel about them. It, you know, it's almost like they're very personal. It's a very personal view and a very personal collection of things. A miscellany uh, almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It gives you that feeling. It just gives you that emotive kind of connection that's to trouble. it. We're still looking for Alison Cross, though, and I'm never going to give up this search for Alison Cross, who worked at the shop. Uh, she served me so many times. Uh, she's not that much older than me, so she's still knocking around somewhere, but we've done our absolute damnedest, haven't we, Alex, find Alison Cross? If anybody out there listening or watching, interacting in any way, knows where Alison Cross is, get in touch, get in touch with the Blackpool boys or get in touch with Type 40, leave us a comment or send us an email or reach out to us at uh, Type 40 Doctor Who at Twitter or on Instagram. And yeah, these guys would love to meet you, love to talk to you and uh, get you involved in some in some hairbrain project or another, no oh, doubt. Second, second edition. So, uh, where are we? Yeah, Blackpool Remembered is still available to, to download for free on the website. The links will be in the description so you can hit them right away and uh, yeah, get your first fix of Blackpool goodness. And Blackpool Revisited is published on Saturday the 28th of August on the anniversary of that original book being released as a free PDF download. What time was it again, John? 10 a.m. in the morning? 10 a.m. Opening time of the exhibition. There you go. That's easy to remember. And yes, it's. Uh, I don't know whether the server will be able to cope with the demand. Are you, are you anticipating a surge? Well, we certainly had a bit of a one last time, didn't we, Alex? Mm. Yeah, I think we'll have all those readers and a bit more this time. I definitely remember comments flying around at the time of the of that first book coming out and people suddenly... I, I mean, I heard about it late. I must be honest, I, I only heard about it when we first started talking about doing the podcast. And so people suddenly only found it... So, I know, a lot of people, I think, only found it when it actually was released and, and it started the word get out. And I remember people, you know, various comments on Facebook, oh, this looks great, how much is it? And it's free, and people what it's free you know they couldn't believe it. It, it it was it was generating a heck of a lot of excitement the only downside of course of all of this is it'd be fantastic to have a printed version and it, I, I guess it's never going to happen because it's just as you say at how many pages it's just always going to be far far too cost prohibitive it ain't going to happen is it we even priced it up out of morbid curiosity and uh the production costs were, were to do it properly were astronomical and then it would obviously be a very very expensive thing to buy and then you've got the whole worm kind of worms of rights and copyright and all the rest yeah. of it and again it, it wasn't john's vision to do it that way as much as we like tangible physical things digital was the best place for this because they can be expanded they can be revised and yeah. added to well, and as you said earlier, Alex, it, you would have had to compromise the project to do it, see, because you just couldn't have put 400 pieces yeah. in the original and 600 in this one. You couldn't have done it. So, so th th this seems to be the perfect, uh, the perfect solution. What's the title of the website? What's the destination that people can download this from as from Saturday 28th of August then, Alex? You always pick me for this, don't you, Dan? <laughs> uh, John! <laughs> uh, well, you can either Google Blackpool remembered uh you'll need to do you'll need to search for remembered rather than revisited to get uh, both books you can follow us on twitter and our twitter handle is at blackpool 7485 we're also on instagram you just search for blackpool remembered you'll find us the hashtag there will will definitely get you to uh, our page 
and all of those social media outlets uh, I've got links to the actual download. Uh, I don't do Facebook, but I know Alex uh, spreads the word on Facebook, uh, so I'm sure it's on there too. And you've got your beautiful art prints as well, haven't you, Alex? People can actually buy these. Each are individually numbered packs with, with these six illustrations, aren't they? A5 prints, vibrant illustrations that you put together for the book. Yeah, some of them were for the book, and that led me on to doing other pieces. Um, it was a very limited edition run, so supplies are getting lower. And I've, I've got my set of these, and I still love them because they just remind me so much of the uh, of the exhibition. Because, again, it's back to that lurid lighting. Uh, great pieces of art, Alex. Love them. And we'll be sure to put all the, the links, all the details for that in the description and in the show notes of the podcast, too, for everybody out there. Yes, uh, that does cover it we've just got to play the waiting game now and wait for the wait for the book to arrive uh, we've reached the end of our amble around those uh, pulsing lights the the perspex and the uh, polystyrene at the blackpool exhibition yet again say ah everybody say ah oh. yeah it's nearly panto season you're in blackpool <laughs> and that's the old girl starting up and calling time on another trip in our tardis I'll be back with another Type 40 soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been at the home of Type 40, our very own podcast feed, type40.podbean.com, due to popular demand, but we're also still on Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, almost every podcatcher you can name. I think don't think there's any that we're not on now. Uh, yeah, if you want to get in touch with the Fandom Podcast Network too, we are still on their incredible master feed with all those other shows. And we're also on YouTube, the world's largest streaming platform on the Spacebooks YouTube channel. Maybe you'd like to have your say. You can reach out to us, all of us at Type 40, through our social medias, Instagram and Twitter, at Type 40 Doctor Who, or email us, Type 40 Doctor Who, at gmail.com. And if you're feeling really really brave you can head over to facebook and put type 40 into the search field there and you'll find the type 40 facebook group full of fans of all generations people who were there for blackpool and people who've come along since they're sharing talking geeking out and arguing now and again about all aspects of the hooniverse simon where can people connect with you over on facebook they can come and share happy memories of Blackpool over with me on Facebook, where if you look for the Hoonatics, you will find me there as uh, one of the admins. There you go. And you can find me scattered throughout all, and, all of space and time, but mostly on Twitter and Instagram as the Spacebook, where I'm wheezing, groaning, and beeping and whizzing about all things geeky. Oh, that sounds, oh, that sounds wrong. About all things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS. Thanks, John. Thanks, Alex, for coming back. It's been brilliant catching up with you again and hearing about this yet another incredible project, audacious project that I can't wait to get swiping on and to take it all in. That's a, that I want to know what happens next. What are they going to do next? <laughs> another it's lost weekend, call. I was going to say. Yeah, but thank you. Thanks again, everybody. And thanks to you thanks for, for being us. here. We always have the time if you have the space here on Type 40. Take care. Speak soon. Bye-bye.
Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, is a Spacebook production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.